everyone. My name is Belle, and welcome to episode 27 of Night Talk. Today, we will be starting a new series called Victorian-era Serial Killers. We are starting with delving into the Jack the Ripper case. Before we get into the episode, let's get into some commercials and disclaimer. Commercials. First off, remember to follow my socials to keep updated on when I post new content. The link is in the description of the episode. I have a blog called Corpse Moon Blogs, where I do weekly blog posts about my content, my favorite topics, and lifestyle top type posts also. I post there every Friday. I also have a blog channel called Corpse Moon Blogs, where I post weekly video diaries slash journals on Sundays. Lastly, just a reminder to follow the podcast so you can keep updated on the episodes. We post here every... We post here twice a week, every Thursday and Saturday, so come join in on the spooky time. Okay, there is a disclaimer for this episode. This episode talks of severe mutilation of bodies. Yeah, severe mutilation of bodies. If you can't handle that, I completely understand, and I'll talk to you next time. But if you're okay, then keep listening. Okay, let's get into the episode, since I have a feeling this will be a long one. Firstly, we will be talking about the conditions of the location at which this case took place. Then we will be talking about who Jack the Ripper was and who his victims were. Next, we will be talking about a timeline of the case and how each victim was found, since that is very important to the case. You'll understand why afterwards. Then we will be talking about the legacy of Jack the Ripper after this whole thing happened into today's world. Lastly, there will be a closing speech sort of thing as usual. The conditions of the time. The area at which the murders happened was completely messy at the time. It was filled with nothing but people pissing, shitting, getting drunk, and prostituting themselves all along the streets. I heard it even smelled really bad there. You can you can see a little more now. You can see a little more now the conditions in which this case took place. Let's continue. Who was Jack the Ripper and who did he kill? Who was Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper is a serial serial killer who terrorized the East End of London in 1888. He mainly focused on the Whitechapel district in London's East End and murdered all of his victims within a mile of each other. His whole background basically is unknown due to the fact that we don't even know who Jack the Ripper was. The victims. His actual number of victims are unknown, but there are five main known ones. Here is a list of them, and then we will be talking about what happened to them in the timeline. Mary Ann Nichols, found August 31st, 1888. Annie Chapman, found September 8th, 1888. Elizabeth Stride, 
found September 30, 1888. Catherine Eddowes, also found September 30, 1888. And Mary Jane Kelly, November 9, 1888. Okay, here is the timeline of, of the case and all the, and all the, the, the killings. I'm sorry um, to uh, let me let me uh, interrupt real quick. If you hear the banging on the uh, um, in the from the apartment, that's just because our neighbors are noisy. I apologize for that. Anyways, let's get back to the case. <laughs> um, the uh, let's start with the first victim. The first victim, uh, his alleged first, very first victim, was a woman named Mary Ann Nichols. She also used the name, the, the nickname Polly. She struggled intensely with alcoholism and finances, so that leads her to her end, so to speak. Here is what happened to her that night. According to jacktheripper.org, August 24th, 1888 to August 30th, 1888, she lodged at the White, the White House, 56 Flower and Dean Street, Spidal Fields. August 30th, 1888 at 11.30 p.m., she is seen walking alone along Whitechapel Road. August 31st, 1888, 12.30 a.m., seen leaving the frying pan pub at the junction of Thrall Street and Brick Lane, August 31st, 1888, 1.20 a.m., turned, turned up at the lodging house, 18 Thrall Street, but was turned away because she didn't have the money for a bed, August 31st, 1888, 2.30 a.m., Emily Holland met her, the worst for drink, the, the worst for drink at the junction of Osborne Street and the, the White Chapel and Whitechapel High Street. Mary boasted that she had she, that she had made her DOS money three times over, but had spent it. She refused to go back to the lodging house in Thrall Street, and the two parted. August thirty first, eighteen eighty eight. Charles Cross was making his way to work when he found her when he found her body lying in a gateway in Bucks Row, Whitechapel. How she was found. This is going to get pretty graphic, so listener discretion is advised. How she was found. Her throat was was cut deeply by severing her nerves. Her abdomen was slaughtered. She had not only been killed, she was completely mutilated. The second victim. His second victim was named Annie Chapman. Here's a bit of a timeline of what happened leading up to that faithful night. According to jacktheripper.org, early September 1888, Annie had a fight with fellow lodger Elisa Cooper and was left with a black eye and bruising to the chest. September 3, 1888, Amelia Palmer met her in Dorset Street and commented on her black eye and bruised right temple. Annie opened her dress and showed her the bruising on her chest. She, she told Amelia that she was feeling unwell and that she might and that she might go and see her sister to get a pair of boots that she could go hop picking. September 4th, 1888. 
Amelia Palmer met her again near Christ Church on Commercial Street. Annie complained of feeling ex extremely unwell and that and said that she might go to the casual ward for a few days to recover. She mentioned that she had not had any anything to eat or drink all day and Amelia gave her two pence warning her not to send it spend it on rum pence meaning like um, money back then um september 7th 1888 5 p.m amelia palmer met her again this time on dorset street annie told her that she was too ill to do anything palmer left palmer left but then returned a short time later to find that annie was still there annie told her that she must she must do something to get some money or she would have no lodgings. September 7th, 1888, 11.30 p.m. Annie turned up at Crossingham's lodging house on Dorset Street and asked if she could sit in the kitchen, a request that was granted. September 8th, 1888, 1.35 a.m. She, she, she went to the office of the deputy lodging house key, uh, keeper, Timothy Donovan, and explained that she had no money to pay for her bed for that night. He told her that if she couldn't pay, she couldn't stay, and she left, vowing to return shortly with the money and urging them to see that they keep her bed. September 8th, 1888, 5.30 a.m., Miss Elizabeth Long was walking along Hanbury Street, said Spidal, yeah, Spidal Fields, when she passed Annie Chapman talking to a man directly outside Number Twenty Nine, Hab Hanbury Street. She heard the man say, "Will you?" To which Annie replied, "Yes." September eighth, eighteen eighty-eight, six a.m. John Davis, a resident of 29 Hanbury Street found her mutilated body in the backyard of, of number 29 Hanbury Street. How she was found. Her throat was also slashed. Her vocal cords were severed so she couldn't scream. Her abdomen had been sliced open and she had been disemboweled. A section of her stomach had been deliberately placed on her left shoulder. Other intestines were, were removed and placed above her right shoulder. Sections of her bladder was also removed, and I heard it, it was kept as like a, um, as like a, a, a trophy kind of thing, which is I thought was interesting. Um, September twenty seventh, eighteen eighty eight. First letter. A missive addressed to the boss arrives at the central news agency. It's signed Jack the Ripper, a name which will turn the unknown miscreant into a world-famous legend. The third victim. His third victim was named Elizabeth Stride, aged 44. Here's a bit of a timeline of what happened to Elizabeth Stride the day slash night of her murder. According to jacktheripper.org, the, on the 29th of September, 1888, she spent all day cleaning rooms at the common lodging house. On September 9th, 29th, 1888, at 6.30 p.m., she was paid sixpence, six pence for her chores and went to the Queen's the Queen's Head pub at the junction of Commercial Street and Fashion Street. September 29th, 1888, 7 p.m. She returned to the lodging house and borrowed 
and borrowed a clothes brush from fellow lodger Charles Preston. She the he- she the headed out looking she then headed out looking cheerful. September 29th, 1888, 11 p.m. She was seen with a man by uh, by Jay Best and John Gardner outside the Bricklayer's Arms of Seattle of, of Settles. September 29th, 1888, at 11.45 40, p.m., she is seen with a man in Bernard Street by William Marshall. September 29th, 1888, 11.45 p.m. to midnight. Storekeeper M- Matthew pa- uh, Packer claimed to have sold the grapes to her and a man. September 30th, 1888, at 12.30 a.m., police const- constable William, uh, William Smith saw her and the man standing outside Dutfield's yard on Burner Street. September 30th, 1888, at 12.45 p.m. Uh, 12.45 a.m., sorry. Uh, James Brown saw a woman w- uh, who he was fairly certain was Elizabeth Stride standing with a man in Fairclaw Street. September 30th, 1888, 12.35 a.m., Confusingly, Israel Israel Schwartz, sorry, I couldn't say that for some reason, saw her being assaulted and thrown to the ground on the pavement in front of Detfield's yard on Burner Street, September 30th, 1888, at 1 a.m. Louis Demschutz pulled his pony and cart into Detfield's yard and found her body how she was found. Unlike the other victims, her body was had not been mutilated, but blood was still flowing from a single knife wound. Apparently, he wasn't satisfied with this first kill that night, so only, a, only three quarters of an hour later, he struck again. The fourth victim. His fourth victim was named Catherine Eddowes. Here's how her last night went down. She was like the other victims, struggled with alcoholism and prostitution. She was so intoxicated the night of her murder that she was arrested and taken into custody to sober up. She was then released at 1 a.m. Her body was found in Mitre Square, about a mile away from Stride's body. How she was found. She was found like other victims, completely mutilated, and her intestines were put above her right shoulder. This time, though, the killer took it further with the mutilation. He specifically disfigured her face. Her nose was removed, her cheeks slashed, and there were cuts also in each side of her eyelids, which, ow, oh my god, the, 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 suffer, the suffering this woman must have felt. I feel so bad for her. Um, October 16th, 1888, from hell. Mr. George Lusk receives a package that is addressed from hell. It contains half a kidney. There is speculation that the kidney is Catherine Eddowes, but people think that this was a prank and the kidney was fake, but I don't know how true that is. It's just a rumor. Um, the, the fifth and uh, an alleged last victim. His last alleged victim was Mary Jane Kelly. Here's a bit of a timeline of the events that happened the night of her murder. According to jacktheripper.org, November 8th, 1888, she spent the afternoon with a friend, Maria Harvey, and the early evening 
with another friend, Lizzie Albrook. November 8th, 1888, September, I mean, uh, September, November 8th, 1888, 7.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Joseph Barnett visited her at 13 Miller's Court for what was described as a friendly visit. November 8th, 1888, 11.45 p.m., neighbor Mary Ann Cox saw her returning home with a stout, shabby, blouchy, faced man who was in his 30s. He had a carroty mustache and a bull in a billy cock in a billy cock hat. Mary Kelly was drunk and she told and she told Miss Cox that she was going to sing. November 9th, 1888, midnight to 1 a.m. Several neighbors heard Mary singing only a violet I plucked from my mother's grave. November 9th, 1888, 2 a.m. George Hutchinson met met her on Commercial Street. She asked him for sixpence. He declined on account of the fact he was uh, she yeah he was spent up. Mary continued along Commercial Street and began it talking with a man near the junction with Thrall Street. The two the, the two then back, backtracked along Commercial Street and Hutchinson and Hutchinson followed the followed the along followed then along Dorset Street where Mary Kelly led the man into Miller's Court. Hutchinson waited on the other side of Dorset Street for 45 minutes, but neither the man nor Mary Kelly emerged and he left. November 9th, 1888, around 4 a.m., several neighbors heard a faint cry of murder from direction of Mary Kelly's room. Uh, November 9th, 1888, around 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., several people claimed to have seen Mary Kelly in the surrounding streets. November 9th, 1888, 10.45 a.m., John McCarthy sent Thomas Bauer around to 13 Miller's Court to collect Mary Kelly's overdue rent. He got no reply when he knocked on the door, so went around to the window and saw her horribly mutilated body lying on the bed. How she was found. She was found by her apartment manager, like I said, because she hadn't paid the rent yet, and unlike the other murders, Jack the Ripper killed her in her own house. Her throat had been severed down to the spine. Her face had been hacked beyond recognition. Her abdomen had been almost completely rid of its organs. Her breast had been sliced off, and one of her breasts was placed on her right foot, which was is is quite specific that I, I I thought when I was researching this. As you can tell, she had been completely mutilated way more than other victims. So much so that the killer also took out her heart and allegedly took it with him as a prize, like the like the the bladder in the, the other case in the other victim. After this, the murders suddenly stopped, and we don't know why. There is a ton of a, a suspicion, but we don't actually know what happened to him or why he just stopped all of a sudden. The investigation and the suspects. The investigation. 
During the investigation, police had a hard time doing the doing it due to the killer leaving few clues and the, that the time was really tech-lacking. It was really hard to do any actual investigation at the time except look at the crime scene and guess, essentially, because they were so tech-lacking. Like, they didn't have really DNA testing back then or anything. So uh, I bet it was pretty hard to do that kind of stuff back then. Um, the suspects. There are many suspects in this case, but these are just some of the, the most known ones. The first one is jo uh, Joseph Barnett. He was a former fish porter and Mary Kelly's husband. When they ended their marriage, Joseph lost his job and Mary went back to prostitution to make a living. Inspector Alberin questioned him for four hours after, Kelly, after Kelly's murder and his clothes were examined for bloodstains, but he was then released without charge. Carl Feigenbaum, I don't know how to say that, I apologize. He was arrested, then he was a repeated offender who lived near the area. It's hard to prove that he was was actually Jack the Ripper because according to Casebook, was Carl, Ferg Carl Ferguson Jack the Ripper? Uh, Fing Bomb, sorry, sorry, I said that wrong. Fing Bomb, you, you get my point. It seems unlikely. William Lawton's word on which the whole case rests cannot be trusted. A, suspo a su supposed, yes, a supposed confession was not shared. The confessor refused to confess. Connection to Whitechapel, London in 1888 has not been proved. A series of mutilation murders in Wisconsin did not exist. Co-consul, co who knew the suspect, dismissed the claims. The story quickly disappeared. Prince Albert Victor. During the actual time of the murders, no one presented Eddie or Prince Albert as a suspect. This wouldn't come till years and years later. It wasn't until 1962 that the first theory of his involvement became known. The theories of him weren't very credible, though. Michael Ostrich. Ostrich. According to Casebook, Mentioned for the first time as a suspect in the Mag, Mag excuse me if I mispronounce this, Magnaton Memoranda, who said the following of him in 1894. Michael Ostrich, a mad, a mad Russian doctor and a, a convict, and a and question and unquestionably a homicidal maniac. This man was set to have have been habitually cruel to women and for a long time was known to have carried out carried out, uh, carried about with him surgical knives and other instruments his antecedents were of the very worst and his whereabouts of uh, at the time of the whitechapel murders could never be satisfactorily accounted for he is still alive this account does not seem to tally very well with the pathetic petty criminal we see in the his in the historical record. Ostrich was first introduced to the public in Donald McCormick's The Identity of, of Jack the Ripper, six, 1962. His physical this description... He is at five foot eleven inches in height, dark brown hair, gray eyes, often dressed in a semi clerical suit, 
had a scar on the right thumb and right chin, a, had numerous flogging marks on his back, two large moles on the right shoulder, one on the back of his neck, described as Russian, Russian Pole, and a Polish Jew at various times. The Legacy of Jack the Ripper. According to History.com, the, uh, Jack the Ripper's murders suddenly stopped in the fall of 1888, but London citizens continued to demand answers that would not come. Even more than a century later, the ongoing case, which has spawned in an industry of books, films, TV series, and historical tours, has met with a number of hindrances, including lack of evidence, a gamut, a gamut of misinformation, and false testimony and tight regulations by the Scot by the Scotland Yard. He also became the forefront for a lot of news articles around this time too, uh, after this. The closing speech. It was so much fun and, inter and interesting to investigate this case. I feel so deeply invested in it for some reason. I'm glad I finally got around to it because I have been wanting to cover it for a while, and since I started doing research, it's got me hooked. We may never know who Jack the Ripper really was, since I feel like any sort of evidence that could still be left behind was lost to, to, to time. I hope, though, that with new technology being made every other year, that we can get to get at least an educated guess without that evidence, even if we can't actually declare someone as Jack the Ripper, if that makes sense. Okay, that is all I have for this episode. Thank you for listening. I love you all. This is Val signing out.